I see. Uh, hi, guys. I think, yeah, we're live. Yeah. What's yeah. up, everybody? Hello. Hey, guys, we're here. We're, we're actually punctual. We're at 9 a.m. Like, this is it. We're, we're really doing this. Ashley messaged me early this morning and was like, hey, let's, let's get on even earlier. And I'm like, oh. Yes, this is anti-Filipino time. Just ten so old know. fashions yesterday. I don't know if I can. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. So we have Ashley. Who do we have with us right now? Um, so we have my accounting firm, um, I Bailey, and we have uh, we have a lot of amazing panelists um, at our disposal this morning, guys. And this is such a treat. I had messaged my accountant Scott. And I had said, you know, I, I have a Facebook group of startup docs and a lot of us are just, we don't know. We don't know a lot of things and we're learning from each other and from our community. And it would be amazing if you could do a live for us. And Scott's like, uh, what, what do you want me to talk about? I was like, well, um, I'm pretty sure we all are going to be grateful for whatever knowledge you're going to um, impart on us today. But they, of course, their firm did um, even better, and they they have a um, they have a list of questions that they had gathered and worked on. So, um, without further ado, you guys, we're going to. I am. People are joining us now. Um, we're going to let them speak, but feel free to type in your questions. And as they come in, when it's a good time to interrupt what they are discussing, we're going to, um, we're going to start um, asking your questions to them so that we can help direct this conversation. So who wants right. to start? I'll, I'll kick it off. So thanks, Ashley, for the, the invite. And we're excited to be here and be a resource for you all. Um, so I'm Scott Haberman, as Ashley mentioned. Um, we serve uh, a number of dentists throughout the country and try to be a resource for them and a kind of a sounding board as they're going through this process right now because it is something that's pretty unknown uh, not only to you as younger dentists but I think some of the more mature uh, business owners out there that have been uh, practicing for quite some time. Uh, joining me on the call today uh, when she uh, when Ashley mentioned uh, opportunity to get in front of a lot of people I thought well, let's get some uh, rock stars within our firm or our firm's a, a pretty Pretty big uh, place, and uh, we have some some pretty cool talent on board. Adam Sweet, he is our pass-through expert, so knows anything and everything about S-Corps, uh, partnerships, opportunity zones, and it's kind of my sounding board when I have pretty deep technical questions to bounce off somebody. Um, and also Mel Schwartz, he uh, he's actually in the D.C. area and is part of our legislative uh, kind of ear on the ground and is is pretty in tune with what's going on between Senate and uh, Congress right now uh, battling this this new bill trying to come out to help everybody uh, out there in the community and the economy to, to keep from uh, all the all the layoffs we've been experiencing and just slowdowns in business or absolute shutdowns for the time being in business and so he'll have some good insight to share but we'll kick it off to Adam first he'll talk about uh, the due dates, payment dates that are being extended, um, and some of those other uh, items that just came out a couple days ago. And then Mel will be talking about the, the Family Medical Leave Act that uh, passed a couple couple days ago as well. Um, you know, who does that apply to? Are, are dentists excluded? Is there a certain threshold they have to be uh, over to be uh, applicable for? So 
we'll just uh, we'll we'll kick it off and 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 I'll end it with uh, some talking points about what can you do right now. What are some tactical items that you can really focus on to keep yourself obviously you know ready to go when the dust clears and and we'll uh, and we'll open up for questions. If you have questions, just feel free to to send them our way. So go ahead, Adam. I'll let you take it out. Thanks. The, the due date. Thanks, Scott. So yeah, as Scott mentioned, I'm part of I. Bailey's National Tax Office. I sit in Spokane, but I'm a resource for the whole firm. And so we do a lot of work with Scott really over the last couple of years with Dennis specifically, working with some of the DSO organizations and some um, 199A planning and so forth. So, uh, so I'll talk a little today on what's happened over the last couple of weeks in terms of tax filing deadlines. I think the one big caveat I'd say is the bill right now being discussed in the Senate could materially change everything, at least what everything that I'm talking about. So I'll give what we know so far, then I'll also probably um, put a caveat every single time about what could change. So what we know right now is our traditional tax filing deadline, which is April 15th, which is for individuals. April 15th is also the final payment deadline if you owe any tax from 2019. April 15th is also the first quarter deadline for estimated tax payments for 2020. So for anyone that uh, conducts their practice in an S corporation or a partnership, your estimated first quarter estimated payments would normally be due April 15th, 2020. Those dates are all officially pushed back right now until July 15th. So if you owe any tax for the 2019 tax year, your first quarter estimated tax payment, as well as the due date for your individual or any tax return that's due on April 15th, that is pushed back until July 15th. Practically, what do we recommend with that? I think we still recommend getting your return done to figure out, one, if you're entitled to a refund, certainly file that as quickly as possible. There's no delay on the refund. You don't have to wait to claim a refund until July 15th. If you're entitled to money today, file that tax return and get that refund today. Secondly, if it ends up that you owe money, doesn't mean you have to pay it. You can, you can file a return, doesn't mean you have to pay the tax, but at least by completing the return, you can now plan for that. If you owe money, um, you can plan for that. Now, the, the big caveat here is what the Senate is talking about this morning, or was talking about yesterday and talking about this morning is potentially pushing that date back until October 15th and perhaps even farther. So we may hear in the next day or two that the due date for tax returns, the due date for first quarter estimated payments, the due date for second quarter estimated payments for 2020, all of that is pushed back until October or potentially a later date. So that, that's the big caveat I'd put there. We for sure have until July 15th. Um, I should have mentioned it's not only first quarter estimated payments, but also second quarter estimated, estimated payments for 2020 are both due July 15th currently, but it seems very likely that that will all get pushed back until the fall. And there's even talk about some of the components, the self-employment tax component, some of the other tax, uh, some of the other payment components to the, to the estimated payments may be spread out even over a couple of years. So it even could become more generous uh, for taxpayers. So wait and see. What we don't know yet is how does this work if you filed an extension to file your tax return already? So if you filed an entity extension to, to file in September um, or an individual extension to file in the fall, 
Do those deadlines all get pushed back? We don't know yet. We expect to have guidance from the IRS and how that works, but we just don't know. You know, same thing for other tax filings, you know, to the extent that I don't know anyone here, if, if they're doing any estate planning or gift tax, there's all kinds of other tax returns that um, come due around this time. And we do not know yet whether those automatically have been extended. Where the IRS knows, the Treasury Department knows that these questions are out there. Certainly all the industry groups are pounding down the door in Capitol Hill right now saying we need answers on all this. So we'd expect to see it over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned there. And then yeah, the other the one thing oh, go I ahead, Scott. jump in. So uh, as long as uh, we know that the federal is extended right now, but uh, pay attention to states. You know, California's mentioned uh, they're, they deferred it even before federal, but whatever state you're in, make sure you're aware of any kind of uh, extensions there too. So not everyone's following suit with federal. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And the states are always laggards. You know, obviously the states don't have the same resources that DC has. And so they're always uh, laggards to an extent. So hopefully they'll all follow suit. And then the only other thing I'd say is I don't know how much of this affects uh, people out there, but they're also discussing, there were many uh, maybe taxpayer unfriendly provisions as part of tax reform that was passed a couple of years ago. There were limits placed on interest deductions, on loss limitations, on loss utilizations. There's talk right now about scaling that all back, at least for a couple of years. And that may allow people to amend returns that have already been filed and perhaps to generate refunds there that um, presently no one would be uh, expecting. So also stay tuned to that. We don't, nothing official, that's part of the Senate bill up there. But definitely once we know, once we have a bill passed this week and we know how those provisions have been addressed that to meet with your tax advisor, if it's Scott or someone else, and there may be ways to generate a refund where uh, you weren't expecting it otherwise. And that's it. I don't know if we have any questions. It's, it's just, there's a lot uncertain still right now. We know we have until July 15th, but it's very likely almost maybe even certainty that we're going to have that date pushed way back into the fall. And so we'll just, we'll wait and see. Mm -hmm. yeah, some, some questions I've gotten and, and we haven't, or at least I haven't seen any clear guidance yet of if you have a SEP for your dental practice, or other uh, retirement plans, you know, what are the due dates for those? Is it really April 15th? Is it October 15th? What, what date does this change to? Or maybe is it even 2021? So that's, that hasn't been written down yet. So correct. Stay, stay tuned there. Yeah. HSA, you know, if you have a health savings account, IRA, all of those deadlines, no one knows. I mean, you would expect perhaps that those dates will get pushed back but we have no confirmation yet from the service or from the treasury department on all of those things. But I would expect all of that, you know, to an extent the treasury department, the IRS are waiting to see what Congress does because every time the IRS puts out something, Congress is going to pass a bill that could change everything. So uh, it's just everything very quickly moving. Um, but I would expect we'll have answers to many of those things over the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Adam, this is Mel. Uh, yeah. Do you have uh, have any word on what this uh, is going to do with regard to employment tax deposits? Is that included in the extension at all? So the, the self-employment tax would be, would be part of the your estimated payments. So I'm a self-employed individual at I'd Bailey, for instance, uh, and I think that that is part of the extension. So that your estimated payments that would be due on April 15th 
and June 15th, those are included in the pushback until July 15th. Okay. And you know, I think one of the, the questions that, that still is out there is where ultimately we may land with regard to uh, employment tax, social security tax, Medicare tax, uh, for those employees that were able to, to keep on, on the payroll, uh, or for that matter, that have been on the payroll. Uh, and so that is, uh, it, at this point, I think there is no indication that that has been extended, uh, but it is something where uh, deposits clearly could be pushed back as part of the legislation that we're looking at in the, uh, in the Senate. Uh, the IRS has some issues with trying to do anything on their own with that. Uh, so this probably is something that does require congressional action. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, guys, so we do have quite a bit of questions right now. Um, let me, can I ask a couple really fast? And then let me see if it, if it, if it covers it or probably not. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so from Christy Ammons Diller, she said, what are financial options for 1099 dentists? I have a personal LLC. So she's received, so she's a person, so she's a sole proprietor, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And is, it, is this issuing, ten, is she issuing? Scott and Mel, I'm looking to you as well. Yeah, what's the what's the what, financial questions that yeah. she's asking for? I'm trying to read that's between all, the lines. That's the only thing, <laughs> the only it, thing she asked. What are my so, financial options for 1099 dentists? I'm assuming so 1099s would have already been issued as of as of January 30th. Whether if she's receiving them, I'm assuming she must be get paid and she's received the 1099s. Yeah. So yeah. she's. I, I'm guessing here, and if if I'm off on this, please submit a follow-up question. But so you, I'm assuming she's a dentist. She's received 1099s for income for services performed in 2019. Uh, Mel or Scott, if you think I'm off, feel free to. No, yeah, <laughs> she probably probably received those 1099s. Uh, yeah. The one thing you want to you want to make sure that you get your return filed, uh, or at least prepared as soon as possible. Maybe not filed at this time, but just know what your tax liability could be, and it could change with uh, legislation that's coming down the pike. And if your CPA is preparing it or preparing it yourself, you know, the tax software providers out there, you know, they have nothing that's updated in their system yet. So it could or couldn't be an accurate tax return, but you wanna prepare it right now as the current legislation stands and see where you land. Uh, what can you do to defer those taxes? Um, and as this bill passes, when Mel follows that and lets us know within the firm, uh, all the updates there, you know, what in that bill can help you out for 2019 and going forward, or even previously in prior years for 2018 and, and, and earlier that, that Adam kind of led to uh, earlier on that call. So I think just getting things kind of squared up right now uh, for the future is probably your best, your best planning item. Cause it'll set the stage both for, I mean, I, I, I probably should have just uh, explained it, but it'll set the stage both for you get your turn together. You'll know if you owe any tax for 19, but then it, you'll also know, what payments you need to start making for 2020, your estimated tax payments. So it, there's two things there that, and you won't have to pay either of those as of April 15th, but the Scott's point, you get those together, you'll know those two amounts, or if you get a refund, which would be even better, and then you can start planning for those things um, as we move through 2020. Or there might be a miracle within Congress. Mel shot that down yesterday. Of maybe dentists can be uh, eligible for that 20% deduction. We'll, we'll wait and see. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, another question by Damian Graybell. He said, I put, to, I put a guide together to help people complete an, the SBA loan process. Are you hearing that you must have your bank reject a, a, a LOC increase prior to being eligible? 
So I've been suggesting all my clients apply for for this SBA emergency funding. Uh, I haven't heard the details of banks rejecting or or talking about their current debts. Obviously, they need they need to know about your current debts and assets and so forth, and and they're going to have more questions for you. But I've been encouraging all of my clients to at least apply, see what you're approved for. I think they're uh, giving loans for up to two million dollars uh, to to businesses, but it could be approved for less. Um, the rates are pretty darn low, 3.75%. And I think it's spread over 30 years and the payments don't start for about a year. So if anything, apply for it. It's a great source of, of funding right now when things are obviously shut down, but also uh, when you start back up, you're going to be extremely busy. You're going to have higher costs with payroll, get things up and moving and longer hours to kind of get the wheels turning again. So I think it's going to be pretty important to get additional funding right now. Uh, before things pick back up. Gotcha. And that's an area too, where the Senate bill that, that's moving along, there could be material changes to that as well, in terms of liquidity or loans provided to small businesses, could be even, even beyond what the SBA is doing. Yeah, uh, Scott, is yeah. that, are, are you referring to the, the Section 7A uh, loans or is this a, a different program within small businesses? Yeah, it's, it's been the, I mean, I've only seen the, the line of credit and then the, the loans the, with the bridge component uh, released. Uh, which other ones out there are you referencing? Well, I think that, and it's what Adam was referring to, and we'll get into this, I think, uh, as we move into the discussion of the, uh, the legislation that's gone on the, on the Hill. Uh, there is part, a significant part of the proposal on the Senate side is a loan facility for small businesses. Uh, which would provide a loan of up to 250% of your of a monthly payroll. And that then the key element there is uh, that loan would be forgiven to the extent that you can show ultimately that you used the money uh, for payroll purposes to pay your rent. Uh, I think there's one other element that, that may be involved there, but you know, you did something other than just put it in your pocket. Uh, and that is, uh, what we don't know at this point is how that is going to interact with the 7A program that is already out there. Uh, but I certainly would not see any downside to having the application process uh, going. And the hope would be that anything that we do now with regard to an application can then be moved over. Uh, because I think that is one of the elements in the Senate bill that we're fairly confident is likely to uh, likely to pass. That is, uh, there's good support on both sides of the aisle for that one. And uh, that is really, I think, going to be this new legislation's response to uh, the, the earlier bill as to how we're going to benefit employers and allow employers to keep employees on the payroll. It, Michael, if there's any maybe other tax questions, if they're not tax questions, we could probably turn it to Mel because I, people are probably jumping ahead. And Mel, yeah, that's what I was about cover. to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's probably going to cover a lot of what. I mean, if there's tax questions, we could handle them now, but otherwise, maybe turn it over to Mel. So if tax questions come in, then I'll towards the end I'll let you know, right, Adam? And then um, good. for right now, let's let's continue on with Mel. Okay, very good. Well, thank you, Mike, and. Um, what we're gonna, what I'm gonna talk about today is uh, mostly the uh, 
uh, family's first bill that was, as Adam indicated, was passed at the end of last week. Um, and this is the one, the, the, the basic theory behind this bill was to require employers to provide um, paid leave, paid sick leave to their employees, and also to expand and require paid uh, family leave uh, in certain circumstances. And there are some fairly technical rules that apply to all of this. Uh, the goal was to say, okay, you employer, pay the money now, and we will give you a credit sometime in the future that will make you whole. Now, uh, and I think they probably have really uh, succeeded in that. The problem is it leaves a time gap between the time that you have to make these payments to your employees uh, and the time that you get the benefit of the money back. So uh, I think that the dental field is gonna be a particularly interesting here because there are some exceptions in the legislation that potentially take uh, the field almost completely out of this, although not entirely. And certainly to the extent that uh, you do have employees, you are continuing employees on uh, during these hard times then uh, it's something that I think uh, we're all going to need to be aware of and we're going to need to be prepared to deal with. Uh, going into a few of the details, this applies to employers that have less than 500 employees. I'm going to assume that's pretty much everyone here who is on the, uh, uh, on the webcast. Uh, and what you're required to provide are 10 days of mandatory sick leave, and that's limited to an amount of $511 today if the reason that they qualify for mandatory sick leave is they're subject to quarantine, they've been given an isolation order, they've been told by a healthcare provider that they need to self-quarantine, or they're experiencing coronavirus symptoms and are in the process of actually uh, seeking medical attention, medical diagnosis. Uh, there is a second set of reasons why you may be required to provide the, uh, the, uh, the sick leave. And that is one, they're taking care of somebody who meets the, one of those first three qualifications. Or this is the, the fairly big one, they cannot go to work. And I've got to say, all of these apply to situations where you can, the employee cannot go to work and cannot telework. Uh, because if they can work from home, they are not eligible for the kind of coverage that's provided in this legislation. If, however, they cannot work, they cannot telework because they have to take care of a child, a son or a daughter uh, whose school has been closed, who no longer has access to their daycare facility, or their daycare provider has been told that they've got it or they need to go self-quarantine, uh, then that uh, employee is eligible for this paid sick leave. There, it's a reduced amount. It's $200 per day maximum. Those are maximums. The 511 and the $200 a day are maximums. If 
what you would normally pay them for a normal day is less than that, obviously you only have to pay the lesser amount. If they're a part-time employee, you figure their part-time uh, number. However, the fact that they are a part-time employee doesn't mean that they aren't eligible for perhaps a reduced payment, but are still eligible for this paid sick leave under the legislation. Again, you pay now, you get the money back through a tax credit that will apply somewhere later along the program. Uh, now, a particular, particularly applicable to this group, an employer can exclude a healthcare provider from this provision. Okay, what's a healthcare provider? And here we run into the first of our definitional problems, which is healthcare provider was the legislation defines it with a reference back to older uh, statutes. And that older statute essentially says a healthcare provider is a medical doc, licensed medical doctor, plus anyone else the Secretary of Labor says is a healthcare provider. Okay. Uh, what how broad does that get? Generally, it is that there's plenty of uh, precedent for the idea that dentists, chiropractors, uh, most of the people that you would associate, dental surgeons, a nurse that would assist in dental surgery, clearly meet the healthcare provider list. There is some question as to whether a dental hygienist that is not trained in order, trained specifically to assist with regard to dental surgery would fall into that category. Clearly somebody who works in the front office of a dental practice uh, that does the billing, that does the appointments, that does non-medical things, uh, clearly is not gonna be treated as a healthcare provider. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that is one of the ones that is, uh, uh, it, we're going to have to wait and see in detail exactly how this is going to be judged. Now, uh, what do we do in the meantime? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon whether you're the employer or the employee, uh, it appears that these provisions do not come into effect until April 2nd. There was a 15-day delay for guidance to be published. And accordingly, it certainly looks like they will not be effective. The requirement to make the payment will not be effective until the guidance is issued and probably not until April the 2nd itself. One other item to mention with regard to the paid, sex, paid sick leave is if you have in your policies provided personal time off, paid sick leave yourself, you cannot count the sick leave that you're required to provide under these this new legislation against that paid time off or against that paid sick leave. They get this these two weeks in addition to whatever they were entitled to under your existing policies. Uh, now, typically they will stack this so that they use the paid time off for, or the mandatory paid time off first, and then whatever they were entitled to under your program. Uh, 
but that is not required and there may be circumstances where it would be to their advantage to flip that order. Uh, they are the ones, the employee is the one who gets to decide what order this is, is going to be, uh, be done in. Uh, questions obviously have arisen. Okay, if I decide that I am subject to this, how do I manage this? What sort of information do I have, need in order to establish this? Again, we are awaiting further guidance, but uh, the indications that we have so far is that uh, day one, where this applies, they meet one of the standards, they can take the day off. By day two, they have to give you some form of indication that they are invoking their right to paid leave, or ex at least explain to you why they meet one of these qualifications. Early indications from the Department of Labor and the Treasury are they're going to be very liberal in protecting the employer if they take the employee's word for it. Uh, although uh, one wants to be careful about things that you know may obviously uh, not be uh, uh, not be above board. Uh, second piece. Let's move on uh, to the expanded family leave. This is a, a much more limited uh, scope of the provision, but uh, potentially is significantly more expensive because this strictly applies to situations where the employee cannot come to work, cannot telework, because they have to take care of a son or daughter whose school has been closed, who has, whose daycare center has been closed, or whose daycare provider, and that includes grandma, has been told that they need to go self-quarantine. Uh, in these circumstances, uh, that employee is technically entitled to paid leave of up to 12 weeks. And here it's again, it's the same calculation of what their daily pay would be, but here it's again the $200 per day limit that would apply. Uh, I, excuse me, I'm sorry, I, I misstate that. The normal payment would be two thirds of their normal payment. Again, subject to a $200 cap. And once again, healthcare providers can be excluded. And this is a, again, a situation where we are waiting to hear what the definition of healthcare provider is going to be. Uh, I will be extremely surprised if you dentists uh, are not included. That's a double negative, I should say. Uh, we think that dentists will be treated as healthcare providers. Uh, as, to, as we move down though in the ranks of people who may be working in your office, that's a little less clear. Uh, now there is a twist with regard to this uh, extended paid family leave. Uh, and that is for employers with less than 50 employees. The Secretary of Labor is allowed to exclude those employers from this requirement if he determines that including them, requiring them to make this payment would jeopardize the viability of the business as a going concern. Uh, 
How is that going to be determined? Again, we're waiting to hear from the Department of Labor. Certainly, the hope is that some standards will be published that you can look to uh, in these circumstances. Uh, the hope is that it will not require some sort of individual application. But until we get that guidance, we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, it certainly makes sense for him to provide some standards because I don't think they want to uh, uh, be processing the million of applications that they're otherwise likely to get. Uh, but again, we have to uh, uh, have to see how this ultimately plays out. Now, I mentioned that at the beginning, the idea is you as an employer make these payments and then you get the money back through a credit. Under, the, how, under the, uh, the legislation that has been enacted, you take that payment first against, or that credit first against the amount of your share of the OSDI, the social security part of your payroll deductions, uh, excuse me, your, your payroll taxes that at least at this point you are required to deposit uh, on April 30th. To the extent your credit exceeds the amount that you owe on April 30th, then you there's, there will be a form that is established by the IRS that you send in along with it, and that ultimately should get you, the IRS, to issue a check for the difference. The goal, I say, is to fully compensate the employer for the cost they incur. The problem that employers are running into is they're not going to compensate you exactly at the same time. There's going to be a lag and you're effectively going to have to finance this in the meantime. Now, oh, Michael, do you have something that we need to come in on? Oh, no, sorry. Okay. But actually, yes. Um, so this is a very, <clears throat> it's a very active topic of discussion right now amongst the doctors. Uh -huh. I think uh, the, I think the majority of us want to know if we if we have already furloughed or laid off our team members, does this still apply to us if it's not in effect until April 2nd? Our understanding is that it does not. This applies to employees as of April 2nd. It is conceivable that it employ, applies to employees before that, but that's not the way the legislation is written. I, I think it would be very difficult for it to be interpreted that way. Uh, and uh, so consequently, I think that if, it really, if, if you do not have any employees as of April 2nd, then uh, uh, you are not subject to these rules. Another piece of the legislation uh, is intended to provide some monies to beef up the unemployment system. This bill that is being considered in the Senate right now includes significant additional money to beef up the unemployment system. And uh, those in former employees uh, have been sent uh, into the unemployment lines. And the fact that you may hire them back once things settle down, does not appear to change the fact that at least as of the magic date, they are not your employee. 
Is there some, are there some other questions about what we are talking about here that, that you want me to deal with, Ashley, or shall we go back to, let me just go back for a minute. We, I did, because we're talking about the credit, uh, and this is how we get our money back if we're required to make any of these payments. Uh, and the credit is not just for the amount of the cash that you may have paid to, this to your employee. It also includes a pro rata share of any healthcare costs that you are paying for the employee through a healthcare plan. It also includes the Medicare piece of the uh, payroll tax that is assessed to you as an employer. So I think they really have made a reasonable attempt to include the costs that you're incurring other than the time value of money, the need to perhaps go out and borrow additional funds if you can find a bank to loan them to you uh, to carry you through this period. Um, now, Adam and uh, uh, did mention, and Adam and Scott have both mentioned legislation on the Senate side. The Senate side is going to try and take this a step farther uh, by actually making loans available immediately ultimate repayment of which is conditioned upon retaining uh, employees. Uh, that is, uh, it, it appears fairly well settled that that will ultimately be included in the legislation. They're arguing about some other things right now, uh, but there is a strong bipartisan support that was put together by uh, one senator from the Republican side and one senator from the Democratic side, both of which have significant leadership positions. Uh, and so we expect that to ultimately be available in addition to the, uh, uh, the, the credit refunding the, uh, uh, the thing. Now, uh, I guess one additional thing that is worth noting before we, we just completely turn it over to, uh, to questions, and that is for those of you who are filing self-employed, uh, you too, qualify for essentially paying yourself uh, paid sick leave if you qualify for the paid sick leave or extended family leave if you qualify, but would otherwise if you were an employee would qualify for those. The, uh, you don't actually pay yourself, but you are allowed to claim a credit and this is unfortunately gonna have to come against your income tax, which is conceivably not due until sometime in in 2021, uh, but you would be allowed to claim a credit against your self-employment taxes for the same amount that the employer would have been allowed to claim as a credit uh, with regard to an employee. So there's something here for the self-employed as well. Uh, we'll need a few more details before Scott can do the actual calculation for you, uh, but that is definitely part of the package and should ultimately, if not in a timely manner, should ultimately be something that uh, we can see to get the, get the money back. And uh, let's, uh, let me turn that now back to, to, to Mike and to uh, Ashley and okay, okay. Uh, see what questions uh, we may need to answer. So do you wanna ask a question first, Ashley? Um, yeah, so what's the best what would you recommend then to your client docs then right now? Should they let let their employees go? Should they lay them off or and have them collect unemployment or keep them on payroll 
and hope the government gives us back the money or hope the bazooka bill will get passed? The, uh, <clears throat> that I think really is a, uh, is a question and Scott, I'd like for you to, to chime in on this as well. Uh, I really think that is a question of the relationship with you and your employees. Uh, I would not let the tax tail wag the dog. I think that you, we, at some point life is going to get back to normal and those may well be employees that you truly value. Uh, if you can keep them on the payroll, there's a lot to be said for keeping them on the payroll, even if it requires you to make these payments. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it may be that if you're not in a position to continue to make the payments, then getting them onto the unemployment rolls where they can get access to at least a reduced amount of cash. Uh, maybe the most advantage, advantage thing to them. Scott, what do you think is the yeah, best approach yeah. here? I, I think that's some good information, Mel. Uh, it depends on a lot of factors. You know, what state are you in? How long are you closed till? You know, as far as I've heard, Oregon's closed until mid-June, you know, Florida, May. So it really depends on the state, the country that you're in. Um, and then taking a look at your burn rate. You know, how, how many months can you go after you've already negotiated with landlords, lenders, um, other vendors out there to negotiate a, a holiday or, a, or a, a deferral for these payments. You know, what's your burn rate gonna be? Um, can you support those employees' wages? Maybe think about uh, potential payroll cut. Uh, I think those are kind of being implemented across the board too for a number of industries. So I think you gotta have those, those, uh, those deeper analysis into your financials of all right, how many months can I go with just keeping the company going forward. And uh, there is that uncertainty, you know, how long is this gonna last for? How long are the offices closed? Um, how long can we make it work? So uh, there's not gonna be a straight answer. It's gonna take some analysis by you to, to, to confirm that you, you have enough cash in the bank to keep it going. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, another question is, if we paid ourselves, are we supposed to apply for unemployment? So if you've paid yourself uh, previously as like a W-2 owner, from what I understand, I, th I think you can because you are an employee, uh, but that really comes down to a question with your state unemployment office. I would confirm that with them or maybe an employment law attorney. Um, that's, I think that's going to be a question to look into a little bit it, further. It'll be one. Go ahead, Adam. I was going to say one thing. It's going to be the S, you know, those of you organized as S corporations, that's probably where, you know, potentially the, you'll have the opportunity to do that because you're going to be an employee and a shareholder. So um, when I looked last week, I, I, I think it is possible, you know, under certain circumstances, if you're, because you're an employee of your business, if it's the S corporation, that you can be eligible for uh, unemployment benefits. If, not, if you're a sole proprietorship, like we had the question on the 1099 dentist, you know, unfortunately, uh, you can't be an employee. Same thing with a partnership. You can't be an employee. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it may be, and I don't know how, how prevalent the S corporation um, form is, but that's probably where you'd see the issue or the opportunity. Yeah. The, one or, the other recommendation I've been making is, you know, unemployment's pretty low in most states. I think Colorado, it's 50 to 60%. I think Arizona, it's a couple hundred bucks a week. 
So if you can float your payroll, which you know, I'm hoping most people out there can do your own payroll, and you fall into the, one of these one these buckets that Mel was talking about, um, should you do the the paid family leave for yourself? That way, you know, the government will pay you later on down the road for for meeting some of those qualifications. So that might be something to look at rather than un, un, unemployment for you as a business owner. Gotcha. Well, one issue I think that we need to uh, come back and point out, uh, you do have to meet one of the six specific standards in order to qualify for the either the paid medical leave, uh, for the extended family leave, or as a self-employed individual for the equivalent. Uh, it is by no means clear that the state dental board telling you you should not be servicing anything except for emergency patients will be sufficient to qualify you. Uh, it actually requires somebody, it requires you either to be quarantined, to be told you need to self-quarantine, mm -hmm. uh, or to uh, uh, meet one of the other standards. Now, a lot of people probably can use the I got to look after my kids standard. Uh, and if I look after my kids, I can't come into the office uh, and I can't very well do uh, telework. I, I can't do dentistry by telework. Uh, but that is something that, that potentially does raise a, a question because uh, you've got a very different cash flow situation if you think, well, I may be able to, if I pay them now and I pay them under these new provisions, maybe I can get the equivalent of that money back around the end of, of April uh, versus no, I don't qualify under these and there is not going to be uh, a credit uh, either on my uh, uh, self-employment tax or against my OASDI tax coming back. And that's a, I think an unfortunate, uh, factor that comes out particularly for a profession like this uh, in connection with the uh, uh, with the, the this legislation now uh, I'll come back to, we talked about the idea that uh, an employer can choose to exclude medical professionals uh, from these uh, from these rules uh, that doesn't mean he has to or the employer has to uh, so the fact that you are an employee, let's say, of a larger dental practice, uh, they're not required to, to kick, they're not required to refuse to pay you. Uh, if in fact it is a situation where you as the operator of the larger practice or you can convince the, or, uh, the operator of the larger practice, um, mm -hmm. try and qualify you, then potentially that may be possible uh, and allow them to then get the, uh, the credit claim back and, gotcha. and try and be made whole somewhere around the end of April. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Um, there's a question. In an S-Corp, if you show a loss after all deductions, depreciation, tax credits, et cetera, would those losses be carried over to future tax returns? So, so yeah, go ahead, Scott. With an S corporation, you have what's called basis. So the amount of capital that you've injected into the business or left in the business, and also maybe have loaned into the business. So if you have losses uh, for 2019 or 20, uh, you can offset other sources of your income, like your wages that you paid yourself through the practice. 
um, another potential source of income that are not related to your business. So the rules are, I mean, that's kind of a high level overview of what you can use to, to offset with that loss, but potentially there could be some flexibility with carrying back that loss to previous years with the way the legislation is being kicked around in Congress right now that I think Mel or Adam talked about earlier today. So we might be able to use that loss if it exceeds your other sources of income on your, your taxes to carry that back and get you a, a refund from some of those prior years. Yeah, the losses would be claimed on your personal return. If you can, I mean, they'll flow from your S Corp to your personal return. And then there were some restrictions from tax reform on use of losses, but we're hoping, I mean, to Scott's point and to what I talked about earlier, those may be freed up. And so your losses may even produce potentially a refund. Um, wait and see. Gosh, gosh. Okay, awesome. Ashley, you got another question? You're on mute, you're on mute. On mute. I'm on mute. Uh, that's how my husband hears me when I talk. Um, so we have a lot of questions. Oh my gosh, how do we choose which, because we are almost out of time. It's obvious that an hour is not enough for all of this stuff. Um, you guys have a webinar that you, your firm is hosting tomorrow morning, correct? And that is free. I posted it in a link a couple days ago. Search for that. If not, I can, um, Scott, will you give me the link again? And I'd be happy to share that because I think that will be uh, more comprehensive. Um, do you see, Michael, do you see one that you? Um, Okay, so there's a lot of the same, a lot of questions, but they ask us to elaborate. Like, for example, what happens if we are part self-employed and part W-2? Can you elaborate how the credit works for the sick leave, paid family leave out of the S-Corp? Mel, do you want to Mel? try to get that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll try, I'll try and take that one. Uh, the... Uh, I think you have to approach them almost as two separate uh, positions. If you are both uh, part of part of the time that you work as an employee and part of the time you work as a self-employed person, uh, and this is by no means uh, unknown. Uh, I think actually uh, the office, dental office I go to, has a a dentist who has that type of arrangement. Uh, I think that you you can, I mean you can't claim both. You can't get two weeks of, <laughs> of paid sick leave for the, your 1099 for the 10 or for the, the self-employed 1099 practice. And then another two weeks for the W2 piece. Uh, I think you, you clearly are limited in that regard, but for a day in which you are not able to go to work because you've been told to quarantine, whatever the, the, the circumstances may be, uh, I think you effectively look at being a part-time employee uh, in both worlds and eligible for the W-2 portion uh, on uh, uh, payment there, and then also eligible to claim the credit uh, as effectively a part-time self-employed person. I would certainly file it that way, and if somebody complained, uh, deal with it then. Gotcha. Thank you. 
Awesome. Thanks, Mel. I have a question. Uh, many of us, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure at this point, the majority of us are closed and seeing emergencies only. So if we have our employees, let's say we don't want to lay them off and we have a lot of systems that we want to start incorporating for our offices or we want our team members to do online training or watch CEs so that when we are back and up and running, everyone is really efficient. Um, is how would you compensate those employees who were making a certain wage as a clinical person and now we have them doing admin work? Like, can, can you have a reduced wage and can they continue to apply or can, how will that affect their unemployment benefits, which are already not much to begin with? Um, Cause that was one of the questions my team members had. Again, you're, I think we're getting into some, it's going to vary by state and it's going to vary depending upon what the state laws are with respect to, to unemployment compensation. Uh, certainly, unless you have a contractual obligation to continue them at a certain rate, uh, if you pay them a reduced rate for reduced activities, they're still an employee. Uh, and so they may be, if they then were put in, uh, uh, if they then were put in quarantine or if they then were put in, uh, uh, or they lost childcare, uh, that would create a situation where they might be able to, to claim uh, against this. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I, I think in most states, if the fact that, you're that your payment has been reduced uh, is not gonna allow you to access the unemployment system. And as to whether there are state laws that would affect your ability to pay, give reduced pay for reduced responsibility, I'm going to have to leave that to uh, people who are more expert in the labor law of the individual states. All right. Awesome. Guys, I think that's going to do it. I think we're going to have to wrap it up right here. We have tons of questions, but um, Ashley, they're going to give you the link to the webinar and everything, right? Yes, yes, and if it's, um, if it's okay with you gentlemen, I would like to forward uh, your email addresses to our group so that um, they can maintain communication. Um, thank you again so much for coming on with us um, and providing us so much value and information. And you guys, they did this at, um, at no charge to us, to, at no charge to our community. And um, so I hope everyone just says thank you to these fine gentlemen for, um, for helping to guide us. And uh, if you are available tomorrow, make sure to watch their webinar. Um, Put on by I Bailey, which is their firm. So thank you guys so much again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for thank hosting you. us, everyone.